There are some things in this world that go way beyond human understanding. Things that cannot be explained. Things that most people don't want to know about. That is where we come in. So what you're saying is that the world of the supernatural is your exclusive province? Kitten, I think what I'm saying is that sometimes shit happens, someone has to deal with it, and who are you going to call? As far back as educated men have recorded their history, veils have been lowered to disclose a vast new reality, rents in the fabric of man's awareness. And somewhere in the endless search of the curious mind, lies the next vision, the next key to his infinite capacity. So, what, well, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm not doing anything. That's Alicia walking back and forth in her friggin' high heels. Well, she's on the show now. Are you wearing high heels? Yeah, absolutely. I wear high heels all the time. And you got to get out of here quick because you got to go to the gym and get swole. Damn right. Chuck Brewer! <laughs> oh, don't make me laugh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> See, that's what you get, you prick. Uh, so this is a uh, fairly recovered Rojan and Lobo yeah. returning back after a somewhat, what, three-week hiatus, two-week hiatus? Some kind of Ooh, hiatus. Had two, yeah, about two weeks. I hate us, like you hate us, everybody hates us. Everybody hates us. So. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Dude, oh. that surgery sucked, but we'll um we'll go into that after the interview. We've got Chris Woodyard returning with us this week to talk about a variety of well, it was supposed to primarily be about haunted objects because you had said what six months ago, I think it was, beginning of summer, that you wanted to do a show on haunted objects. And I said, Yeah, yeah let's do that. And then we just never got around to it for whatever reason. It's par for the course, actually, really? Yeah. So uh Seems and then about right. Hanging out in Haunted Ohio Books. Um, I believe that's her website. Uh, let me double check that before I give that shout out here. Yeah, yeah Haunted Ohio is. Books. Well, we, we're on her site all the time, and she's been on the show, I don't know, she she tends to come about every six months is what we've, we've narrowed it down to roughly. And yeah. since we hang out on her site all the time, I started finding all this stuff, and I said, you know what, let's just do a show with her. You know, she's got everything down, and plus Christmas is coming up, and she has some Christmas stories and stuff, so... Um, as always, are you taking I, your clothes off again? Again? Oh my god! Dude, this gonna... is two shows in a row. She's freaking stripping again. Oh my god. Dude, this is not gonna work out. <laughs> you, you just want to record the intro over again? No, what? just let's go. No, we're gonna no, we can't we can't do it. Yeah, like no, this. she did this to herself. Absolutely. No, no, no. We're gonna wait until you're done with your current situation. No, 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 no. just keep going. No, I'm not editing all this out. No. Don't don't edit any of it out. <laughs> This is not a great first episode for somebody to come and find the show with. Sure it is. Anyways, all right. (laughs) Chris Woodyard, she comes on the show to talk about haunted objects, um, foods that damn near kill the family for holiday feasts, uh, haunted cars. There is a thing in here about a haunted car, haunted rocking chairs, um, haunted jewelry. um, The scrying glass? Yes, the scrying glass, correct. Um, All kinds of cool stuff. So um, we'll just... We have to go let Lobo take care of this situation, and when that's resolved, we will see everybody at the other side. Bye-bye. And I'm just going to sit here and heavy breathe for a little bit. <laughs> what? What? What's wrong with your brain? Gotta go. Returning with us this year for the holiday season is Chris Woodyard, our go-to person of all things strange and unusual historical-wise for the most part. Um, 
it's no secret that we spend way too much time on your blog. <laughs> <laughs> That's very flattering. And Lobo and myself have been wanting to put together a haunted objects show for the longest time. And then um, I just kept digging through. See, this, this, I have a problem with your site. And I spend, oh. I'll go there. No, I, I fall down these rabbit holes. Like, because, <laughs> you know, we, we post stuff on our page from your site all the time and we follow you on Twitter and everything. So we'll go to your site. I'll look, I'll be reading something and then I'll, off to the side, I'll see something else and then I'll click that and I'll click something else and I'll click something else. And then 45 minutes later, I've wasted 45 minutes of time just reading stuff on your site. <laughs> My so, job here is done. Correct. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And I always come back to, and then you've also got a, another blog or a couple of other blogs that you write as well that I just recently discovered. And I'm like, how in the hell do you, how do you find all this stuff? I always ask you that every time you're on the show, how do you find all of this? And uh, you just had an abundance of haunted items and things on here. I said, you know what, let's, uh, let's knock this out of the way since Christmas time is coming. Plus you've also got some holiday oriented stuff on here. So we decided to bug you and said, Hey, let's, uh, let's do a haunted item show. And that's yeah. how this one all fell together. Well, I did the the haunted object. That was the theme for the October uh, blogs. I always like to have a theme, mm -hmm. and uh, it, I thought haunted objects. That's that's the ticket. So. Yeah, we're a little behind here. <laughs> <laughs> so um, let's get things started. I guess um, we're going to start with the haunted rocking chair. Now, you mentioned in here that you, uh, in a former life, were a collector of antiques, and you call yourself a attic ferret, I believe is the term that you use. You use. Um, so is that one of the things that got you into all this? Did, did you ever discover any haunted objects, or you know, how, does, how does that play into this? I had a vintage clothing store, um, but I also collected other antiques as I was going along because you just see things and pick things up. Um, and people said uh, when they went into the vintage clothing store that we brought the ghosts in with the clothes. Um, we, we would have people that would pick something up and get a funny look on their face and put it right back down. Uh, one lady put on a blouse and she started describing how she saw people picnicking by a lake and she just almost went into a trance. Um, and so we, we wondered, I have a friend who's really sensitive to smell and she thought it had something to do with pheromones, uh, where, you know, the sweat was imbued in clothing, even after it was cleaned, you would be able to pick up some kind of emotion. Uh, and of course we had a lot of wedding gowns and we had a lot of party dresses and possibly those things, you know, still had their owner's emotions attached to them. I, I don't really know what the mechanism could possibly be, except I do know that um, I've been in places like museums, uh, perhaps museum storage, and I'll be walking by something that's completely covered and become extremely agitated or angry. And then it's revealed that that's a rack of military uniforms. So honestly, I, I don't know, but it just seems like Clothing in particular um, has the ability to sort of hold on to, I don't know whether you'd call it a spirit attachment or whether it's just some sort of a remnant. A memory uh, of who owned it. A, a memory of, of who owned it. You'd think that wedding gowns would be a lot more, you'd get some happy emotions from them, but I, I never pick that up. I always pick up the negative emotions. Hmm. Yeah, but um, they're worn like a, for a more fleeting time though. That's true. That's true. Whereas a uniform would be, you know, worn day in and day out and really get 
whatever it is uh, soaked into it, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, one particular thing that happened when I was um, writing one of my Haunted Ohio books was I went to a vintage clothing store up in Plymouth, Ohio. And after I'd done my little investigation, the lady asked me if I ever felt anything when I held an object. And I thought she was going to hand me a piece of jewelry or something. And in I'm just sort of wandering around waiting for her to pick up whatever it was she was going to give to me. She pulled a baby dress out of a wardrobe and very, very quickly she thrust it at me. And she says, what do you, what do you get out of this? And I literally fell back six feet. I mean, I was like up against the wall and I'm just gasping for breath. And I'm saying the baby's dead. The baby's dead. Mm. And and then I'm like, wait, and, I, and I'm getting this picture of an infant in a coffin, like a post-mortem Victorian photograph. Um, and then my rational mind took over and I'm like, now let's be rational here. <laughs> that dress hasn't been put in the grave. Um, if the baby was photographed in that in the coffin, they would have buried the baby in that dress. So this can't be what you're really feeling. Mm-mm. So then I, I told the lady that and she had this twisted little smile on her face. I think she was happy to have gotten me a, a little bit riled. What a bitch. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, and then she pulled the tag out and she read it to me or she showed it to me and it said, this belonged to the layette of baby so-and-so and they gave the name who died and gave the date of the baby's death. So it had been part of the layette of a baby who died very young because it was an infant's gown but i'm like i'm seeing a post-mortem here (laughs) it was it was pretty pretty terrifying does stuff happen like that to you all the time or or, i I, are you sensitive i mean i hate to go to that route fortunately it doesn't happen to me all the time um thank god but there are certain, you know, if I go to a flea market or something, there are things that I'll pick up and say, oh, isn't that cool? And then I'm like, no, not taking that home, not not bringing <laughs> that into my house. Uh, a friend of my sister's, this was, I thought, hilarious. Um, I had never met her before. And for some reason, we had her in our car and, and my sister told her I was kind of sensitive. And she's like, oh, really? Well, here, try this. She hands me her diamond ring. And I put it between my cupped hands and it started buzzing like a hornet. I was like, really angry. And I got this picture of this very, very nasty woman uh, wearing glasses and she had kind of a tight bun. She looked sort of like old world, um, you know, maybe Eastern European or something. So I described this to the young woman who'd given me the ring and she says oh yeah that was my grandmother this was her ring we called her attila the hun (laughs) (laughs) lovely woman lovely woman (laughs) (laughs) so yeah that sort of thing does sometimes happen but uh, i don't go looking for it so you also mentioned on here the thing about um like museums these traveling um like haunted object museums and things like that it's um, kind of a big thing these days, yeah. Yeah, so have you had any experience dealing with that kind of stuff? or It sounds like no. you're not like a big fan of those kinds of things. Or... I'm not a big fan because I see too many people selling things on eBay. They'll they'll say, look, this, this doll is 150 years old. And I'm like, no, that was made in China maybe two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, 
it is aggravating. They don't know the history of things. Uh, you know, here's a Franklin mint bride doll that's being described as a Victorian doll. And of course it's extremely haunted. It's got a demon or something. And I'm just oh, I'm so tired of demon dolls. Everybody wants to have the next Diddick box. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that's part of it. I mean, I, I trained as a historian and I really hate it when people just sort of make up these backstories for objects. Mm-hmm. So that's, I guess, my primary objection to, you know, museums of haunted objects. And um, I think it's illegal to sell haunted objects or something like that on no, eBay without now. disclosure. You can't. It has to have a disclosure. It has to have a disclosure. And I noticed that most of the haunted dolls, at least, um, you know, say, we can't guarantee that you will be haunted. <laughs> so. <laughs> so what you're buying here is a doll. That's you're what buying you're buying. You're buying a doll. Yep, <laughs> yep. That's it. Hmm. And, mo- and most of them do seem to come from China. Um, of course. And, and I wonder, you know, are they haunted by the the poor souls that have to make the darn things for pennies a day. No, they're just cheaper to buy and resell on eBay. That's yeah. That, that's the point. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, yeah. not, not a fan, not a fan. No. Well, let's go into the rocking chairs then, because the haunted rocking chair is kind of the, is one of the main pinnacles of, of haunted stories. You always see them in, in the haunted house movies and, you know, all of the all of these stories all have the haunted rocking chair that sits and rocks by itself. Right. So where do we begin with haunted rocking chairs? Well, there's a lot of superstition about it. Um, never leave a rocking chair rocking without anybody sitting in it because it will be sure to be occupied by a ghost. Or if you uh, see a rocking chair swaying back and forth, it's being sat in by some deceased member of the family and they're come, they've come back to choose the next person to go. So you don't want to, that's, it's an omen of death and you just never know what's, what's sitting in that chair. Um, the, um, let's see the one rocking chair story, this farmer died and he left his grown children all unmarried living at home and there was a rule that every child had to spend a half hour in the guy's rocking chair and basically commune with him, like being in a trance and, and giving his – he would give advice to the kids. So that was sort of their little family ritual. Hmm. Um, another one was this woman um, said she could see from a, a chair on the porch – and on still nights, this chair would just rock violently when there was nobody in it. And the chair was thought to be haunted. It was uh, the property of an aunt who sat in it for hours at a time knitting. And after she died, it had descended to this woman's mother. And it would just sit there on the porch and rock by itself. Another woman, uh, a widow, said she was visited every evening. Her deceased husband would sit in the rocking chair and rock and rock and rock, just like He's still there. He wants her to know he's still there. Um, I don't know whether this is just imagination um, or whether really that happens. My grandmother said that my grandfather would come and sit in his chair. It wasn't a rocking chair, but uh, he'd just sit there and and sit by her. So, don't know. That's believable. You have a thing in here that you've had a couple of experiences of your own with haunted rocking chairs. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that was a bad <laughs> one. 
I wasn't allowed to publish this because the family was very upset. So I'm not going to give a location. But I was called to this house and um, I walked around the place and I started limping. I, I, it was almost like something had hit me in the hip and all of a sudden I had a bad hip. So I'm dragging one leg, going through this really large sort of McMansion house. And um, there was an old woman there. And she was really, really hateful, very, very angry, very nasty. Um, I got to this one room and there was the rocking chair sitting in this empty room all by itself. Like it was quarantined, like they'd shut it away to keep it from contaminating the rest of the house. And she was sitting in that rocking chair. And everywhere I went, um, it was kind of unnerving because I, I started going out of one of the rooms and she was right there in my face. My daughter was with me and I was actually turned around in that room to look backwards. And my daughter's like, look out, mom, she's right there. And I turned around and I'm like face to face, nose to nose <laughs> with this thing. Um, and she was just a, an extremely hateful woman. Um, this had been a farm. Area. So wait, you were, were you seeing a ghost or was this actually I a was person? Seeing a ghost. No, this was a ghost. Okay. Um, so, and she was, she had sit in, sitting in the rocking chair and the woman who owned the rocking chair, they'd bought it at an antique shop locally and brought it into the house to rock their babies to sleep with. And every time they'd rock the babies, the babies would howl and get extremely upset. And I thought this woman is pinching them or something. This ghostly old woman hates these children, does not want them there. Um, the, 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 it was a brand new house, but it had been built on farmland and possibly there was some local, you know, farm house there before. And she came from there because she was not a modern person. She, she was an older fashioned ghost, but she was very, very mean. And, uh, I said, you really want to get rid of that. Oh, we're going to chop it up and burn it. And I'm like, well, where will she go then? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> offload your problem plan. onto somebody else. That sounds like a yeah, good idea. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I don't know what they – they were a very religious family, and they were not happy to hear that they had something like that. And they were kind of – they actually called in their pastor. I, I came downstairs to find him sitting there, um, and he was very – stern about what I was doing and it was, you know, not right. And, um, we're not going to take, um, any advice from you about this chair. Like, fine. Okay. You know, you asked me here to see what I saw and I told you what I saw and she's attached to the chair. So mm -hmm. I heard, I heard later that, um, possibly they did some research about who it might've been. And apparently there was a a farmer and his wife who lived in that area who um, it was a murder suicide. So possibly, I don't know if it's, if they really determined that that was who was attached to the rocking chair, but uh, it's as plausible as anything. But the idea that they were trying to rock children to sleep in that was very unpleasant. So were, they were they were themselves using the rocking chair. Is that what you're saying, or am I misinterpreting? Yeah, they, yeah, they were using the rocking chair to start with, but then the kids got so upset they just sort of shut it off in a room by itself. 
That's okay. never an answer. That's never yeah. an answer. Yeah. And, <laughs> and it was just kind of like you walk in and it, the room was completely bare except for this rocking chair. Even worse. In the room. (laughs) Even worse. It was just, it was like, oh, we just closed the door on it and locked it in there. (laughs) That's not the answer. And we hear it rocking by itself. (laughs) So, yeah. And you you haven't heard from them again or anything like that? No, I I think the, the pastor sort of said you were, you know, dealing with things of Satan or something. So, um, no, never heard from them again. That's fine. But they didn't want me. To, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> they didn't want me to publish the story, and that's fine. I didn't. I did Keep not. Your do damn it. rocking chair and your ignorance. <laughs> it wasn't a bad looking rocking chair. It's kind of one of those pressed back wooden. You know, it looked like it should have been comfy, but I wouldn't sit in it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's move on to the hair work bracelet now. Describe this thing. This was a braided hair bracelet, if you can imagine that. This is human hair. Uh, Victorians had a thing for this sort of jewelry as a sentimental or a mourning object. Mm -hmm. Uh, You would take the hair of the dead person. uh, You cut it while they were alive, though, because you wanted it, it, it was better quality while they were still alive. And you could either get a do it yourself instruction booklet and braid it or manufacture it however you liked or you could give it to a hair worker who would make it into jewelry and this particular bracelet had a portrait on it under a glass so it would be like a watch face with a glass over it only it was a picture and this thing um, supposedly just aported onto a seance table Uh, this was in Germany and um, it's a rather complicated story. This family decided they were going to um, develop their mediumship. So a family of four would sit around the table and get messages and things would wrap. And one of the sons of the house got a message from an old girlfriend. Um, and he didn't realize that she had died. And uh, he found out later from the girl's brother that she had And she said, consider what follows an expression of our favor. And they then got this bracelet on the table. (laughs) It's a sort of poof. Um, I'm not sure why it was, it was promised as a Christmas present. I'm not sure why, uh, who was doing this because usually when you find a ports in, in seance rooms, it's a professional medium or some other medium, but this was just four people in one family. So I'm not sure who was doing this. But anyway, the portrait came um, on this bracelet and a beautiful young woman, they said. And they said, the glass must not be removed or the picture will be lost to you. And one of the people in the family got a magnifying glass out and was looking at it. And they were sort of some asshole (laughs) tinkering with it. And he got the glass off and the picture vanished. Very upset. And he said, my family overwhelmed me with reproaches. Well, I wonder why. (laughs) Wonder why. Yeah. Listen, Dick bird, stop touching the stuff. (laughs) You were warned not to do that. So what do you do? (laughs) You touched it. So, 
then they went back to the seance table and they re- the spirit wrapped out, the picture is not lost to you. So the boy received the order, have the bracelet made to close perfectly. So they took it back to the goldsmith and got the crystal cover to fit properly. And then again, they did some automatic writing and it said, handle my picture with care. Since after the loss of the other, each new manifestation takes more time. So, yeah, they, uh, he, he, in the dark, put the bracelet into his sister's hand, and the light was brought, and they found in the locket the same picture. Wow. So now the picture is still good, he said. Um, he didn't open it up again. So I'm not sure how, how they did this, you know, whether it was some sort of a, um, you know, photographic development process or whether it really was a spirit doing it. I don't know. Yeah, but wouldn't that have been a daguerreotype or a tintype at that point? Not necessarily. Um, it could have been just a painted portrait. Oh, or, that's true, yeah. Uh, yeah, people, they, the miniatures they used in, um, I mean, they did have photos in mm-hmm. some of the morning jewelry, but they also had painted portraits, usually on the, an ivory plaque, a little little ivory plaque. Okay. So, um, so yeah. So when I, we got in, had dags on, underneath them. Okay, yeah. That, those that, are hard to reproduce. Yes, they are. They are. Um, although I've seen older morning rings, for example, with um, obviously much more modern daguerreotypes put into them. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. kind of weird to see a Georgian yeah. ring. But um, the hair work jewelry just unsettles me because it's so itchy. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand the draw. I mean, I understand the draw to it for just the sheer fact as a memento. Mm-hmm. But to actually wear them, like we had, we had um, morning rings, uh huh, and we had bracelets. Yeah. yeah, oh, they were. I put it on and I immediately like, nah, I'm all set. Yeah. Take this off. <laughs> I prefer the wreaths and stuff because they are they yeah. are pretty, or like the shadow boxes. Well, they are those, pretty, but I, I some of them are pretty. I find them. They remind me of giant tarantulas. <laughs> We had a big, huge wreath come in, and it was big. I, you can't tell me that that wasn't like an entire family's worth of hair. And that's true. They, yeah. Oh, yeah. it no. was hideous. <laughs> it was hideous. There were actually competitions where people would like, how many different hair samples can we get into this wreath? You know. Oh. Yeah, and I've seen ones too where they've got the whole family's hair made into things, and they've got each section labeled, which is is quite cool. Now, by wreath, how big of a wreath are we talking about here? We're talking about hair that's interwoven in the circular pattern and all that, correct? No, no, you ha- would make it into little flowers or tendrils, or you'd wrap it around wire, or um, it, it was meant to look like a flower arrangement usually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was not a solid strand of hair, okay. um, like a big lock of hair. No, it wasn't like that. But yeah, some uh, yeah. of the frameworks were shoddy at best. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, and it, it, often they did put it on wire, so the stuff quivers. Is, yeah, that, yeah, that's even worse. <laughs> <laughs> this makes me want to ask you something because we've talked before. Uh, I think last time you were on the show, maybe we talked about the. Uh, the practice of taking uh, death portraits yes. or, you know, staging. Have you ever heard of any kind of like haunted death portrait pictures or anything like that? I haven't. And um, it's kind of surprising that 
you don't find that more often um, because some of the f- photos are really quite unsettling. Yeah, it radiates creepy. Like that would be yeah. something. Uh, yeah, that that picture is haunted. Okay, I can see why. That's a picture yeah. of a dead person. Yeah. Uh, well, not all pictures. Uh, there's some really beautiful ones. Um, but I I would be interested to talk to some of the people who collect them very very seriously. I mean, I have a small collection, but there are people with hundreds of them. Oh yeah. And um, I would be interested to ask them if they have ever had a problem like that because there's so much emotion imbued in these things. Uh, this was the last image of your loved one that you were ever going to see, or maybe it was the only image you had, especially if it was an infant. Right. And um, yeah, I, I've some never the, actually heard of one of those being haunted, though. Some of the people that collect the um, post-mortem photography Mm-hmm. Like serious collectors, they are not what you expect in people. <laughs> like we had, we had this one woman who came in, who would regularly ask for postmortem pictures to you mm-hmm. know if they were going to be in or if we knew when they were coming, mm-hmm. and she was not what I expected. Now well, the the other woman that I worked with used to call her the ghoul gal, <laughs> but to me she was. She was a small little redheaded woman who had she was always very well dressed, uh, very well spoken, always smelled nice and had a certain glimmer about her. Interesting. And I don't know why she was collecting them, but I have a feeling she was collecting them to be able to put them at ease. Hmm. Just the, the aura about her. Interesting. Huh. Yeah. When you said you she wasn't what you expect, I wasn't sure what you meant whether so you expected somebody to come in dressed in morning clothes or looking very creepy and ghoulish and and goth no i expected someone to not be as compassionate when talking about it oh i see okay you know like not 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 the particular look of the person but like the the way the person carries themselves uh-huh like we had people come in that 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 would purchase certain materials that were, you know, war artifacts or Nazi stuff, some of the darker things. And they they were one of two ways. Either they were fanatic about it or they were looking at it in a standpoint of how much money can I make off of this? I see. Uh-huh. And for have someone to come in and be – and it was not just compassionate, but when she was speaking of it, it was almost in a loving manner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's it, – it touched me in a way that it didn't touch everybody else around me because yeah, they called me a cool gal. I am a weird person. <laughs> You're a weird guy. I collect I collect strange things. So yes. <laughs> All right. Thank you for that. <laughs> well, let's keep in the vein of haunted jewelry and move mm-hmm. on to the glitter in the ghoul, which is a brooch of or a haunted gem. Well, it was a whole collection of gems. I just love this story um, because I. I've always loved the Elizabethan period. And um, in 1912 in London, they were tearing down a bunch of buildings in a place called Cheapside, which had been traditionally the jeweler's department, you know, local place where all the jewelers gathered. And um, in a cellar, a bunch of workmen found these this huge quantity of gems, loose gems and Elizabethan jewelry. Well, they 
didn't report it as treasure trove, which they were supposed to do, um, they took it right away to a guy named Stone. That he was known as Stony Jack. His real name was George Fabian Lawrence. He was a pawnbroker, and he'd seen all these historic artifacts getting lost. And he went to workmen who were demolishing houses and taught them what to look for. And he paid them very fairly. And he boasted he'd saved all these historic artifacts for the museums. And he knew instantly that what he had there was something really, really special. So he called in the London Museum. And um, we don't really know how many pieces of jewelry there were because some of the jewels just disappeared forever. The guys just took them and sold them somewhere. And we don't even know what they were packed in, which would have been really great if we could have had an actual um, excavation. But in any case, this whole collection of jewels ended up in um, the house of, quote, an official of the London Museum. This was all kind of hush-hush. He kept them in his study, and the jewels arrived in June on a warm June night, about 10 o'clock. Everything turned cold in the room where the jewels had been placed. A friend of theirs came to the house, and he said he was an psychic or something and he was shown into the study where the jewels were and he said that he could see a tall thin man in elizabethan costume and the ghost looked very very angry Mm -hmm. and he sensed that the apparitions said these are my jewels what right do you have to them so a couple of years after the jewels had been placed in the museum a professional medium was also visiting the official at the house, the same guy who'd had the jewels in the first place. And he saw the same man standing by the side of the daughter. And he said, he doesn't like you. Um, and he, he described him exactly as the other friend had seen. The daughter had cleaned the jewelry when it was in the house. So apparently the ghost was not too happy about that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, a woman spiritualist also was shown the jewels at the London Museum and she fainted. Um, on recovering, she said that she had seen blood on a gold neck chain among the jewels, and she'd sensed that the woman who originally wore it had been murdered by somebody who wanted the chain. Since then, I don't think there have been any manifestations. They're going to open a new gallery to display all of the jewels in one place in 2021 at the Museum of London. Mm. I wonder if any of the people have noticed anything while they've been in storage. But uh, this isn't something that museums generally like to talk about in public. Um, The Elizabethan gentleman, I mean, who knows who it could have been. Um, The great 40 and Mike Dash wrote a really good um, article about the cheap. It's called the Cheapside Hoard, and he laid out who could have originally owned it and how some of the jewels could have gotten to London, uh, because the original owner seems to have been poisoned on shipboard, and one of the ship's crew took most of the jewels, although some of the jewels were div- divided among the rest of the crew, and he came to London and sold them. So. Who knows who was the Elizabethan gentleman who said, those are mine. It's weird what you say about museums because I have a family member who works at the Henry Ford Greenfield Village. Oh, yeah. And um, they don't talk about – there's lots of things in that vocation that are purportedly haunted. Um, Mm. 
there's a, a limousine that's in there that I, I believe President Reagan was shot in. Um, but that it's got this weird fog that comes and goes on the windows. And I've seen it myself. A oh, lot of people have. It's very, it's, yeah, it just comes and goes. You can go there and the, the windows will be all fogged and you come back again and the windows are completely cleared. Um, they don't know what causes it. It's nothing woo woo spooky. It, it's legitimate. Lots and lots of people have saw it. Um, but it's really strange. But there's, I've heard many stories of people that I've talked to personally that work there. They're like, oh, yeah, that, that car is definitely haunted. But the museum itself has no official stance and does not talk about any hauntings or any things that people see in there that are haunted. Uh, Rosa, Rosa Parks' bus is apparently supposed to be haunted as well. Um, but again, this is a museum with historical artifacts. You, you kind of expect this kind of thing to go hand in hand with this kind of stuff. Um, the village itself is also purported there's buildings there that are haunted as well. Oh, yeah, I can but, imagine. Um, they do not talk about it. They have no, they, they won't talk about it publicly. And, you know, I've even bugged people. I'm like, hey, can, can you come on to the show and talk about this? Like, nope, nope, we're not, we're not allowed <laughs> to say anything like that. Yeah. We're not allowed to talk about it. You know, yeah. when they get emails and stuff like that, they, they have an official, they have like a prepared official response that they give to it, which I don't remember what it is off the top of my head. But they just do not talk about that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess it's cause they want to keep, you know, an official looking and things like that. So, yeah. although I've seen recently, I've seen a couple of smaller museums like historical societies mm -hmm. having official ghost hunts, overnight stays and that sort of thing mm -hmm. as fundraisers. And that's cool. Um, but I can understand why a place with really important artifacts would be reluctant to, you know, they just, they don't want the publicity. Yeah. Well, you'd think they would, but by the same token, you know, you don't want somebody walking into this place to places like this with all kinds of gear and doing stuff, yeah. you know, in a yeah. public place. You know, it's just not something that you want to you want to deal with on a regular basis. So, I can see where they're coming from, but I, I'm I'm hoping that at some point or another, I can, you know, I can schmooze my way and 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 talk to people off the record or get a phone call from somebody and not mention names or something like that and actually right. get some real stories. But who knows, you know. Um, Man, some of these jewelry pieces are very cool. There's that mm -hmm. jade like octagon thing. That's a that's an emerald. That yeah. is a, a case that was a watch. There was a watch inside a, a, a single huge emerald carved. Is that gold or is that copper? Case. That is gold. Wow. Yeah, copper. Uh -uh. Yeah. No, there's a it, it, the, what is so amazing about this is that we see these jewels in Elizabethan paintings all the time, but we here they are, and they've never been worn, um, so the enamel is still in pretty good shape. I mean, they were buried, but um, it, it seemed as though they were semi-protected by some sort of box or bags, and uh, it's just such an amazing collection. Mm -hmm. But it's uh, sad we don't have more information about you know where they actually came from. Are these purportedly cursed or anything like that? The, you know. No, hmm. no, they don't seem to be cursed. Um, the only, uh, I have a, a story of a cursed ring. Um, it's in the Spanish royal house. It was given by, I think, Alfonso Twelfth to his fiancée, and she promptly died. And then I think he gave it to his sister, and she promptly died. And <laughs> you want it? No, no, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly, exactly. And eventually it ended up around the neck. Uh, they, they strung it on a chain and put it around the neck of a particular virgin's statue, uh, the Virgin Mary. So um, 
that they've taken the curse off of it by giving it to the church. Oh, okay. <laughs> what a relief. <laughs> so let's move on to Der Urge Spiegel. Yes. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> this is a, uh, a casting mirror, I believe, or no? A scrying mirror, a prophetic yes. yep. mirror. Uh, it gives you second sight. Uh, you can see somebody special that you're looking for. Or uh, one servant girl, for example, used her employer's urge spiegel to watch, uh, see what her parents were up to. She was so homesick. And, of course, one day she saw both of her parents in a pair of coffins. And a couple of weeks later, she got a letter from Germany saying that they were dead. Mm. So let's this describe was, this thing first. It's just yeah. it's just a plate, essentially a plate with a with a hole in the top of it. You well, know, no, is, how big is no, it? No, actually, the the illustration there is actually John Dee's okay. um, magic mirror. I didn't have a a picture of one of these. Um, I only had a picture of the uh, writing that they printed up and would paste on this. You, what you did was you took a piece of plate glass. And then some special secret person, you know, sort of a cunning man or a folk magician would print up this piece of paper with things like, in the center is the star with the signs of the planets in the points. Jesus of Nazareth is Rex. And it would be uh, what you call a macaronic text because you'd have different languages. So you'd paste that on the glass um, and you had a star cut on one of the pieces of glass. You sort of sandwiched these papers between the glass. Then you had to bury it on Christmas night between, I think, 11 and 12 at night. And then you dug it up exactly a year later. Yeah, between 11 and 12 o'clock. And then you unearth it one year later on the same date and hour. Um, it was buried under a crossroads. Uh, the one I was reading about, the guy put it in, the, buried it, but didn't put it in a box. So the paper just completely decayed. <laughs> so the cunning man had to write another paper, and they framed it and buried it again, and um, it was fine. So they used it to almost to develop their second sight. Not everybody could see things in the glass. Um, people who were born on Christmas Day or right after it, were supposedly being, uh, they were supposed to be able to see in it. Uh, those born on May 1st also have the sight. I don't know why that is, but um, they May say Eve. also, May Eve, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, spiritually significant. Okay. Anyway, it was, it was used to basically do remote viewing. Um, and let's see, what else did it do? This one guy, um, he used it almost like a burglar alarm. Uh, there were some people threatening to burn his barns down, and he saw in the glass that they were approaching. And he went out and scared them off, but he recognized them from seeing them in the glass, and they were able to be arrested. Huh. That's awesome. Yeah, it'd be very useful. I'm like, why don't we have this like an app on a phone? <laughs> <laughs> you know, or Spiegel a, app. A screen, <laughs> a, a screen is a screen for heaven's sake. You that's know? very true. It, yeah, that's very true. Yeah. <laughs> but it was also I I was interested in this um, 
it, it was used really late because in 1910, there were ministers denouncing the use of these. Um, but in 1875, a little boy got lost in uh, Pennsylvania and a witch was sent for. She had an Erich Beagle and she was going to be able to see where he was and direct the searchers. But she said there was a skeptic in the throng and he beclouded the mirror so she couldn't see the child and he was never found. Mm. So, well, that was her story and she was sticking to it. Sounds like someone copped out on that deal. Yeah. She, she, there was an interesting detail with that. She put it in a, she had her urge beagle at the bottom of a black bag. Um, and I've heard that before where it has to be darkened so you can see more of a reflection in it. So that might've been part of her ritual in um, keeping it in a black bag. The ones or that, that I've seen, the, the mirror, the glass was smoked. They would put a candle in front of it and smoke the glass. Some people oh. actually put a candle in front of the mirror itself. Interesting. Yeah, that, that's from what I've seen of it, because I've seen one of these in person. Um, right. Or something like it, I should say. I don't know if I've seen this exact thing. Um, but it's funny what you say about the whole clever clever man concept or cunning woman concept, um, mm -hmm. is that... Uh, during that time period, you, you see a lot of church people coming along and pushing those ideas and those beliefs away, you know, mm -hmm. saying that these people are actually the work of the devil, even though yes. they're using Christian motive and Christian prayers or Christian oriented Lots spells. Of, yes. yes, indeed. Yeah. They were very Christian oriented spells. Yes. Uh, the uh, powwow doctors mm -hmm. had all their books and they had so much Christian imagery and, and prayer and, and uh, phrase phraseology. So, um, have yeah, you ever read The Long Lost Friend? Have you ever seen it before? I have seen it, yeah. yeah. I've seen Good it book. online. Yeah, I've got um, a copy of it here. I think Lobo does too. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, what was the other one? The Book of Moses or something? I um, don't know about that one. I've mm -hmm. heard of it. I can't remember what the name of it is. The Long Lost Friend is usually the one yeah, that, um, that yeah. everybody commonly refers to. You know, sure. It's been changed and edited over the years and so forth. It's It gets mm -hmm. reprinted every so often. I think Daniel Harms was the last person to put the reprinting of it back out there. Yep. Yep. So. And there there's a number of them that that is the best known. Mm -hmm. uh, but I know there are at least three or four other books that were used in this sort of folk medicine. Mm -hmm. And what gets me, I, I commented on this in the blog, is is in the Pennsylvania folk magic. There's all these steps you have to go through and everything has to be done perfectly. Just like the witch said, oh, well, there was a skeptic, so I, I couldn't do it. Um and I see lots of stories about people who go to the cunning man or the powwow doctor and, and they say, well, I can help you find treasure. And they follow this step by step by step. And the cunning man needs more money for this and more money for that. And they just keep stringing these people along. And it, it, it's really kind of distressing to read. But I'm always fascinated by the number of steps and rituals, the elixirs, the powders, the magic squares, the rods and the staffs. Um, it's sure it wasn't all, cheap either. It wasn't Very involved. Cheap. Very, Very involved. involved. And it, it just gets more involved and more involved. I mean, I've read these things that go on for years. But, um, See, you know. If someone asks for help, I don't ever charge them anything. I just don't get it. I never understood why people charged for services. Because it's a money-making opportunity. I guess. <laughs> yeah, it is a money-making opportunity. Although, yeah. I guess in, I mean, there are some rules in occultism, I think, uh, or folk magic about not taking payment or 
Yeah, you know, you're not it, supposed to take it, payment, and if you do, yeah. it is on their accord and what they feel as though right. you deserve for services yeah. rendered. That's right. how it was and for cutting men too. Most of the time, they yeah. were just given room and board or a meal or something like that because the families couldn't afford a doctor. Yeah. So they would come in and do their thing and they would be, okay, well, here's a meal or here's a place to sleep tonight. And the person would move on. Yeah. You know, they, most of the people that were, you know, if somebody was out there actually trying to get money out of it, then they weren't doing the job legitly. It's like when we had uh, Gary on here talking about being a sin eater, you know, it's not yep. something that you do for profit. You're doing exactly. it for a minuscule sum to try to help people to move on. Yeah. So, yeah. I agree. And uh, this, this is, you just see these, there's a whole bunch of con men masquerading as powwow doctors or or magicians mm -hmm. so hmm. well can i ask said, oh, go ahead go ahead I, are we are we done with the ones that you picked out uh well we've got the other one with the the holiday recipes but we'll close the show out with that one but go right ahead i want to talk i want you to talk about ghostina <laughs> Ghostina the haunted car. You have yeah. to talk about Ghostina. <laughs> uh, okay, let me see if I can find all the details so I can have it in front of me. Um, I had I, a '79 Oldsmobile. Where it was the first car I was ever given, and this car <laughs> would—I swear to God—it would fix itself. Really? Oh my God! Start up in the middle of the night and play music from the oldie station. Wait a minute. Where, where did you buy this car? It, my father bought the car. My father bought a, the car from a dealership out in like it was like a, a 45 minute drive from our house. And it had a it had a uh, V6 diesel engine in it that we didn't want because it was a it was a pig. So my father got a car, another car from the junkyard that the family owned that was a wreck that was a um it was a fatality. The car the the car that the the, the 72 that the engine came out of was a wreck and it was a fatality a wreck. Fatality. Okay, so that's where it came from was the, was the engine then. Yeah, we took we, we took the engine out and okay. we kept the transmission. It, it was in the garage. I ended up using it again because I blew the transmission up all the time. But like <laughs> little things, like li like the windows wouldn't work. Then all of a sudden they'd work again. And like the like my father came into my bedroom and asked me. It was three in the morning. Why I left the car running? And I'm oh like, I, the keys are on my desk. I didn't leave it running. <laughs> and it That's was great. It, but it was I, that car wouldn't die and we finally sold it and i saw it again recently driving around town and that yeah. thing should be dead <laughs> <laughs> well did it like try to swerve off the road with you or anything <laughs> oh we went off the road many times delivered yeah no, not, not by, by your own choice or <laughs> no it many times it went uh, off the road okay. and it wasn't with me driving whoa <laughs> I would have gotten rid of that, that car. Okay, good for you. I wouldn't <laughs> wouldn't have set foot in it. Well, Ghostina was in um, Geneva, New York, and um, this was, you know, a haunted car. This, I, I, it's it's just kind of a complicated story, but they saw the car in the garage. A figure of a man wearing a heavy overcoat appears every night at 2 o'clock and gets in the car. He's followed by a white vapor-like form. 
They remain but a second, and as they disappear, the quivering of the machine also comes to a stop. So they, they saw a man and a woman basically get in the car, and then the car would either vibrate or move. It would move, you know, two or four feet. A fellow who drove the car originally from Rochester to the Geneva garage declared that about two o'clock in the morning, he thought he noticed the form of a woman in the car, but he just ignored it until he heard the other guys in the garage talking about it. He's got better nerves than I have. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, so the, all these people came to see the haunted car um, in this Geneva Auto Company. It was the building where it was. And the car would move. Um, and they would also see these vaporized... bang, bang. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but two o'clock in the morning was the witching hour. Now there was a rumor that it had to do with a prominent murder. A young man murdered a girl and, um, was, her body was transported in a car, but there was never any real specific information that this was the car or who was the murder victim. I've, I've not been able to locate this that particular story but it was a recent murder the guy had just been convicted and sent off to jail when the ghostina car story began so it may be that people were just conflating the two i don't know but um yep they attracted loads and loads of attention um they again saw the levers move and the throttle quivered and the whole car moved as in, as if in rapid motion. I'm not sure how that works while the thing's still sitting in a garage, but yeah. it was apparently vibrating in some way. And of course my mind went straight to the gutter. There's two, you know, a man and a woman <laughs> in, in the car. And it's, you know, if this car Those is a rock. Is a rockin'. <laughs> nice. So I love this, this woman who claimed to be a psychic, um, got sent fan mail and she wanted to investigate it, but I don't know if she ever actually came and she, but she sent this very ill spelled, um, letter. Um, I am very much interested in this strange auto or haunted car. There is a way to trace out why this should be. I have traced such a thing out in a haunted house and she, she would like to come and see the car. So I don't know whether she came, but a lot of spiritualists did come. There were 500 people at this garage at one time. That's crazy. It is. Um, and the thing moved. And one of the spiritualist ladies was under the car. Oh. It started and it moved. Why, 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 would, why would you do that? Oh, here's and a car that a, moves on it. I'm going to lay underneath the car. I, oh, <laughs> okay. They were told uh, there were rumors that somebody was – just tampering with it, you know, that okay. they were pushing yeah. a, a stick through a hole in the building to, to move the car. So they moved the car into the middle of the room. And at this point, the spiritualist lady who had a little searchlight or some sort of a light crawled under the car to see if there were wires to make it move or anything. And while she was under there, it moved at least four feet. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, that's it, enough to make you believe that they're not doing it. Yeah, you would think. But then I don't quite understand what happened here. Um, Some guys came to investigate. They were from Rochester, and they say upon examination they found it to be a fraud because when they started to examine the car, they were ordered away by a Geneva policeman who was called by the manager of the garage. Um, We found an electric wire running from the car to the ground, 
Then we started to pull the cushions from the seat and raise the hood, and a cop told us we'd done enough and to get out before we locked, he locked us up. So I don't know what the purpose of a wire running to the ground would be. Why wasn't the wire spotted by the woman under the car with right. the spotlight? Um, previously, the manager of the garage had said, come one, come all. You know, you, you can investigate this all you want. We just want to know why this is happening. And nobody was making any money from this. They weren't charging admission or anything like that. Um, there was no indication except these people claiming that there was fraud because the cop told them to go away. So I don't know. That was where these, the story came to a screeching halt. There, there was no more information on Ghostina after that. Uh, let's see. It was like late uh, middle of August 1917. So is this like a Model A or a Buick, or does it ever stay what kind of car it is? Well, I've got a picture of it here, um, but I don't know cars. It looks well. like an Oldsmobile. Does it? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks I, like an Olds. I don't remember seeing an actual um, statement in any of the... Well, it wouldn't be an Olds. It would have been a Rio, but it looks like a Rio. Okay. So, yeah, it's a decent-looking car, Um and that was you know, there's a picture of Scotty Cummings, the guy who drove it. He did an awful thing. He brought his family, his wife and two children, in at two o'clock in the morning, just to see what they would expect. <laughs> and they were terrified. Good. Like that was mean. Put the fear of God in you, right? <laughs> I guess. Not a nice guy. So that was the end of it. They never said what happened to the car or anything after no, that? No. I've never been able to. I, I looked and looked, and there that's where the story ends, with these the cop telling these guys to go away, and then that's that's the end of it. There is no information. It may be that somebody really was hoaxing it and decided, okay, we've just had enough. We, we This is this has gone too far. Um, or, you know, August of 1917, we just entered the war. Mm-hmm. So maybe there was just better things to think about. Probably. That's one probably, of the downsides exactly. of having one of these things. Yes, this is haunted. No matter what you do, you're never going to, I get this, this idea that there's always going to be a skeptic out there and there's always going to be one more skeptic that's going to come up. In my, in my experience with skeptics, it's they'll, they'll go so far to explain things to the point of, you know, being as ludicrous as the actual yeah. event itself. Right. Yeah, I agree. I wonder if you after a certain point, you know, the guy's just like, you know what? I'm done. I'm tired of dealing with you people because it's it's, there's obviously something weird here, but you don't want to accept it. Nothing I can do is going to prove it to you. Right. So at that point, they go, aha, well, then you're lying. (laughs) You know? Yeah, Yeah, that may that may be. Um, And the guy was trying to run a garage. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's kind of hard with 500 people lined up to see Ghostina at two in the morning. Mm -hmm. But he was and he was losing employees because they didn't want to work at night. So mm-hmm. I, he was actually at a disadvantage having this car there. So don't know. Well, mm. we're coming up on the hour, Mark. We usually let people go, but you said you had a couple of stories you wanted to discuss yourself. And we've also got the holiday stuff I wanted to get out of the way. Are you cool with staying for a little while longer and telling a few more I, things? I am. Okay. Um, I, I told you the story about the ring and the baby dress. So we, we've got that out of the way. Okay. So we we can talk holidays. Yeah, Woo-hoo. you've got the groaning Thanksgiving board, which I thought, I'm like, oh, this is a, you know, a haunted board of some kind for Thanksgiving. No, what it turns out is you have a variety of articles in here 
about people poisoning each other for Thanksgiving and holiday dinners. And since we've just passed Thanksgiving and we're going into the Christmas season, um, I thought it would be great to talk about some of these stories of people um, poisoning their families with bad cooking, which I'm sure most of us can relate with on some <laughs> level or another. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. I had a relative once who defrosted the uh, Thanksgiving turkey in a paper bag on top oh. of the dryer. What? And we, we found it in a pool of blood. Um, oh, nice. And, you know, projectile vomiting for the entire family. Turkey told Can you me. say awesome. salmonella? I'm not fond of the whole holiday anyway, and that just kind of put the put the lid on it. Wow, yeah, huh? <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, take us to some delicacies here. Oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, I, I laid out the traditional cranberries, the mashed potato and gravy, the green beans, the turkey, and the pumpkin pies. So you can get poisoned by all of these things. I was amazed. Um, <laughs> I love this fictional story. This woman was tired of having her family cranberries stolen by the neighbors. So she pointedly announced that the cranberries in the bog were poisoned and had her children help her sprinkle flour on them after displaying a pale marked poison arsenate of lead. <laughs> like, that's good thinking. That's good thinking. Now, green beans, I mean, we all know, you know, that's the, the typical, I think it's tomain poisoning is what people would always call it. Mm. Um, but this one guy, he he had a little cut on his thumb while he was cutting up some meat. He didn't pay any attention to it. And a week later, he handled some green beans and was poisoned. So he just was almost killed by having the poison from these green beans get into his cut. I don't know what in the world could have been on these beans uh, but people were the, – the newspaper published the article saying we make mention of the case because of its peculiar nature. So watch out for the handling of green beans. And then there was a family that was poisoned by new potatoes, uh, which were impregnated with Paris green, which is arsenic, yep. uh, sprinkled on the stalks to destroy the potato bug. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You can actually get sick from green potatoes as it is. Well, you so can. You can. It's, not, it's not a happy feeling either. But they kept, uh, they did spray a lot of arsenic-based poisons on Oof. vegetables, particularly on the potatoes, and people would eat the darn things and, and get arsenic poisoning. you imagine that? I mean, uh, everybody's all up in arms over Durspan and like all stuff. It's a long distance away from arsenic poisoning. Yeah, yep. Then there was the gravy poisoner. Um, he attempted to poison his family. He put um, flour. In, he put poison in the flour to make the gravy for uh, with rough on rats. And then he refused the gravy. Um, so he um, he got sentenced to let's see four years at San Quentin for the attempted poisoning. <laughs> what drives me nuts is that. All of these books on domestic economy of the 19th century would say set out poisoned flour to kill the rats or whatever other vermin. And you'd think you'd label it as poisoned yeah. flour, but people yeah, but would the just rats read, might read that. They would dump the, you know, somebody would pick up this saucer and say, what's this flour doing here? And dump it back in the flour barrel. Uh, oh. 
like this, this five members of this one family were recovering from poisoning. They mixed the poison with flour to kill rats. One of the women used the flour by mistake for making gravy. How do you use poison flour by mistake? I don't understand. Or this is why everything has labels now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And uh, well, I'm people used to drink carbolic acid in accidentally in the dark because the, it felt like cough syrup or it felt like whiskey or something in the dark. Oh. Ugh. So let's see. Then then we have turkeys. Of course, we have lots of warnings about turkeys even today. But I love this. In Paris, fresh killed turkeys have black and shiny legs, mm-hmm. which would turn a sort of a dusky brown color. This guy invented a varnish, and he would go and varnish the legs of old turkeys or diseased turkeys to make them look like they were fresh and healthy. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, dear. And then there was the poor guy. He uh, poisoned his whole family accidentally. Um, He loved the turkeys. He felt they were his pets. He was very fond of them. And he protested against the slaughter. So he fed the turkeys something poisonous thinking it would temporarily sicken them, and then they wouldn't be eaten. They'd recover, and they'd be fine. Well, the hired man killed them, and they were served at dinner, and the whole family got sick on the poison that he had fed the turkeys. Smart boy. Yeah. (laughs) And then there were turkeys that the family, um, the farmers, put out some poison in the woods to kill wolves, and the wild turkeys got into it, Somebody shot a wild turkey. Um, eight of the people who ate it were in a very critical condition. You never hear whether Strychnine. all of the people died, but strychnine's pretty oh. um, quick acting. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, oh so my God. No, no turkey, but how about some pumpkin pie? Well, <laughs> let's see. Um, the family was poisoned by eating pumpkin pies, which were supposed to contain rat poison. Uh, so much rat poison. Man. Yeah. yeah. This place was lousy with rat poison. And then a guy ate a pumpkin pie, and they thought maybe he committed suicide because he didn't have an enemy in the world, but he's found with strychnine in his pumpkin pie. And then here's my favorite. This uh, family had uh, pumpkin pie for dinner, um, and the flour with which the pie crust was baked subsequently proved to contain quantities of crystallized arsenic. Where are these people? It's like they live in poison mills. Well, poison flour mills. (laughs) Come on. This lady said that she keeps her flour in a crock in her kitchen and she used some of it two weeks ago. No problem. And the poisoned pumpkin pie was baked from the same flour a week later. So somebody probably threw arsenic into the crock in the meantime. She oh, said, geez. I left the house and I left the back door ajar. And I suppose somebody entered the house and did the mischief. But she didn't eat the pumpkin pie. Oh. So there was some – she hinted that her father – and her brother might have had something to do with the poisoning because she had some bad blood between their families. Um, they, they did an inquest. They did lots of the, the whole inquest testimony is published in the paper. Um, and it ended with a verdict of death by poisoning, but nobody was named or charged. But um, I found it suggestive that 
it said, for dessert they had pumpkin pie, of which all but Mrs. Garber partook heartily. Mrs. Garber ate but little. Hmm. So, hmm, I wonder. Yeah, but it also leads to, like, was she trying to poison the family or something as well? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, but it wasn't normal arsenic that you'd use for uh, right. rats. Yes. It was that's, medicinal arsenic. That was what was peculiar about it. Where did it come from? Uh, pure quantity that was usually sold by druggists. Mm. One reason people died so often from arsenic poisoning is it was so easy to get. I mean, you went right. to the druggist, you signed the book, and said, "I'm taking our. I need rat poison." You know, that rat might be my husband or yeah, right. somebody <laughs> else, but you know, it's rat poison. That's great. So yeah, it was it was very common. You also had more vermin in the houses uh, that was a nuisance. Right, that you right, genuinely right. needed to eradicate. So you you would have the stuff lying around the house. But see, people seem to be extremely careless with it. I don't know why. It's, it seems like there's somebody just roaming around the house throwing handfuls at people. <laughs> it does. And that and strychnine. Um, right? Although, you know, I, I did a, a post on people that accidentally ingested ars, um, embalming fluid, too. And people I were did. careless with that. <laughs> So, I smoked this stuff. That was on purpose, though. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. He, yeah. Was, he had a, a wilder oh. youth. Oh. <laughs> I mean, it's I've, called illy or wet. You I've dip heard, your marijuana in it. Yeah, I've heard of that um, going on, but I'm like, why? Yeah, now you've met somebody uh, stupid a, enough to do it. It's, hey! <laughs> it has a it has a certain desired effect. Let's say that. Okay. I, I don't have personal experience for that. Well, I hope you well, never do. So, <laughs> moving along, um, have you heard recently that the Smithsonian uh, put out a plea for the tradition of telling Christmas ghost stories to start up again? Yes, yes I did. Because I, I'm happy to promote that idea. It went from being Christmas was the time that you told ghost stories to Halloween became the time to tell ghost stories, and now no one tells ghost stories around Halloween anymore. It's mm -hmm. a, something that's looked at as like a Charles Dickens kinds of things. So since you're familiar with it and we're at the end here, I've got to ask you, being that you know all of these things and you've covered all of this stuff and Christmas is coming, is there any kind of a story that Christmas is Christmas related you could leave us with before we send you on your way? Hmm. On the spot, boom, right there. <laughs> there was a there was an interesting it was it wasn't quite a ghost story. Um, it was in Springfield, Ohio, and this a woman was sick in bed. It was Christmas time, and her daughter saw her go downstairs and stand by the Christmas tree. And she thought, oh, she shouldn't be out of bed. She shouldn't be out of bed. And she goes upstairs, and her mom is in bed. So she was seeing her doppelganger, you know, coming down the stairs just to look at the Christmas tree, I guess. She wanted to be out of bed. That always struck me as a an interesting Christmas story. Um but people ask why, you know, don't you hear more stories? Don't ghosts come out more at Halloween? And I said, no, if I hear a date given, Christmas is the time. Um, it, so I think there's a good reason for telling ghost stories at Christmas because they do seem to come out at, at Christmas. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I, I haven't really got specific Christmas Christmassy ghost stories. It's more, well, yes, at Christmas this happened. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember it because it was Christmas. Um, it's not so much that they, you know, come back and, and hang up their stockings or anything like that. But there was one story I remember where um, there was a knock on the door and it was very snowy. It was like Christmas Eve. And the guy opens the door and staggers backwards and slams the door. And they're like, what's the problem? He says, my father is out there. And he looks dead. He said it was the face of a corpse. Like, wow, Merry Christmas Eve. Didn't you have something about a phantom pig train or... Oh, the hog train. The, yeah. Something with like a, tr- a train full of pigs that shows up at Christmas time or something. That, yeah, you're right. I do have the phantom hog train. That was a odd one. Um, and it, it, I, you never know when they say it's a yarn. Is it real? Is it not? We don't know. Mm-hmm. But it was around, it was always on Christmas Eve that this, these train men used to see this thing. Um, and it was a, barreling down the road the the train uh they said it was this side of galleon they saw uh, and oddly enough all my people are trainmen from galleon and crestline ohio anyway um they sat this one guy was set out to have a red flag to a lantern to flag anything down that might um hit a train that was already stopped and they sat down on the rail and this guy kind of dozed off and all of a sudden, there's a freight train coming up right on him, and he jumped up, and he waves his lantern, trying to get her to stop, and it didn't stop. So this train goes barreling by. He says, 40 cars, I counted them. Everyone loaded to the guards with big, fat hogs, and every one of them was squealing. I got one glance at the engineer as he went by. He was looking straight ahead, and his was the devilish, devilishest face I ever want to see. And he watched it disappear around the bend, and then he thought it was going to run into the back of the trop- stop train. And he ran up around the curve to see his stop train, and there was nothing there. He said, nothing but red and green lights way down the track, and they were on the rear of our train. So that train just disappeared. But they said for five or six years, everybody brought in a report of that phantom hog train. The idea of this thing squealing and shrieking, I mean, the noise of of hogs when they shriek is just appalling. Yeah, it's blood-curdling. So 40 cars worth of that. I just don't see myself sitting there going one, two, three, four, five, yeah. six, seven, eight, nine. <laughs> I see myself going, holy shit, there's a train of pigs train squealing. And it's going to hit the train that I that stopped up ahead and yeah. my friend be killed. So I don't there he I, I found a a story of a you know a hog train that really did wreck but it's hard to tell they changed the names of the train lines um so I couldn't tell you know if I really had the right one or not mm-hmm. Well, we're going to let you go. Um, as always, this is a spot where I give you a chance to, if you want to, you know, tell people where to find you. Do you have any new books coming out? What books you have out there? All those kinds of things. I'm working on a sequel to the Victorian Book of the Dead. And oh, nice. can't wait for that. <laughs> and I've got some uh, fictional stories coming up, I hope. Uh, it's hard to find the time with all the blogging and all the social media. 
but you can find me at uh, my blog at, is at hauntedohiobooks.com. Uh, also, the Victorian Book of the Dead.com. I've got a new blog where I've sort of segregated some of my death and mourning posts. I, I think people are, who are interested in that alone will, will find that of interest. And uh, you can get my books online at, at the retailers. And if you have a local bookstore or library, please tell them to order them. That would be great. The Victorian, the Victorian Book of the Dead is an absolute great value because it's oh, a huge it. book loaded with stuff. It's it's sitting right next to me here on my desk. <laughs> I have mine. Oh, it's oh. I keep mine under the pillow. Um, well, I've, I'm hoping to have a lot more pictures in this one because I've been buying post-mortem photographs. <laughs> Did you want to talk about that other blog that you run now too, or did you oh, just want to leave that one out there? Mrs. Daffodil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I also am um, Mrs. Daffodil, who is an Edwardian murderess. Um, think Downton Abbey meets Dexter. Um, she's very good at what she does, and um, she has a, a story in a book called A Spot of Bother, which is uh, only available as an ebook. But I'm hoping to bring out more Mrs. Daffodil stories because people really like hearing about um, clever ways to commit murder. Yeah, as I say, that's another site where you cover you cover odd history as well. I do, and it's mostly costume history or um, I do a few ghost stories there. I do some morning history, um, but there's a lot on fashion and costume and just sort of ephemeral fads. I'm always interested in things that um, had their five minutes of fame but didn't necessarily end up in a museum um, or as an artifact. Just uh, things that you just wouldn't think of, like, although this does have some artifacts, like crossword dresses. You had clothing that had crossword puzzles printed on it, and you were supposed to fill them, all, fill them in. It was... Huh. Uh, that sounds like yeah, something in the 70s. <laughs> well, it does. It does. And it was meant to be sort of a, a coy way of uh, putting boys and girls together. You know, oh, come mm. and play play my crossword puzzle. Ah, okay. Giggity. <laughs> oh, well, Chris, thank you, as always, for coming on here and telling sure. such fantastic stories and doing such amazing research. Um, you know that we, we are huge fans of yours, and it's always a pleasure talking to you. Well, thank you so much. It's always fun talking to you. Love it. <laughs> you guys have a happy Christmas. Don't eat the pumpkin pie. I hate pumpkin pie. It's stuff rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, sweetheart. Take care. Thank you. Hi there. I'm Logan. And I'm Lindsay. And we host the new podcast, Folklore on the Rocks, where we talk about folklore and lesser-known creatures, cryptids, and monsters from around the world. When we say lesser known, we mainly mean that we won't be covering creatures like Bigfoot or Nessie or Chupacabra just because they're discussed so often and the world just has so many other awesome options to draw from. Every two weeks, we'll be diving deep into the legends and culture that surround a specific creature and getting a bit tipsy as we do so. But don't worry, we do our research sober. (laughs) On the weeks in between, we'll be narrating and discussing folktales. So some will be historical folklore from the regions that our creatures are from. And some will be more like modern folklore, like no sleeps and creepypastas. You can find out more about us on our website, FolkloreOnTheRocks.com, on Facebook and Instagram at FolkloreOnTheRocks, and Twitter at at FolkloreRocks!
works. So come on, grab a drink, join us, and let's dig deep together. They say I'm disturbed. From city to city, an incredible hysterical panic spread. This is about to get weird. Join John, Brent, and Conspiracy Bot each week as they clarify conspiracies. The first time euphemism's ever been used in this show, and I appreciate you calling me out on it. Explore enigmas. Disregard all known writing and use my method, which only works on this. Uh, You'll realize it says drink rich chocolatey Ovaltine inside (laughs) the spaceship under the Sphinx. And probe the paranormal. Hold on a second. Uh, I'm I'm pointing the laser at the wall now. 71... 71.1, 71.2, Admiral Bird is here. All of this done with the misguided help of the one and only Conspiracy Bot. You're all idiots. Hysteria 51 is a hilarious expedition into the eccentric. Stop on my joke. I will when they're good. Listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcatcher. Remember, the truth is out there, but you won't find it here. Stay woke, meet sex. Want to get in contact with the show or listen to back episodes? It's easy. Go to www.projectarchivist.com. On the right side of the page, you'll find links to our archives, as well as links on how to get onto our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter. If you want to leave a voicemail for us, it's 734-681-0459. Yes, we do listen to all of them. Or if you want to talk to Lobo directly, you can call... We're sorry. You have reached a number that has been disconnected or is no longer in service. Yes, that will in fact put you in touch with his cell phone. If he's available, he will take your call and talk to you. If you're just looking to send us an email, you can do that at projectarchivist at gmail.com. Don't forget to look for us on iTunes under the podcast section, or you can stream us right to your phone with the Stitcher Android app for free. So, Chris, lots of fun. Actually, she's... um. She informed me today, because we recorded this yesterday, that she's mailing us two more books, or mailing us books, and there's a good chance that I might be sending some people the Victorian Book of the Dead as Christmas presents. No, no one's getting mine. No one's getting mine. No one's mine either. Oh, okay. I was going to say, mine's freaking signed. I'm not giving that up. Yeah, you lucky bastard. I have a feeling that the ones that I'll be getting from her next are going to be signed as well. She loves being here. She really does. She's so much fun to talk to. Yeah, the, what, 45-minute conversation when I was falling asleep off the air of you guys talking about antiques. you're a bastard. Yeah. Well, I wasn't snoring. I wasn't doing it over the microphone. No, you weren't. No, she genuinely (laughs) loves being here, though. I think because she knows that we actually do appreciate what she does. Dude, she does a great job. I really, honest to God, I don't know how she finds the time to to do everything that she does. She is the Nick Redfern of blogging. And she puts stuff yeah, on dude, there all of the time. And then she's got the other blog, Mrs. Daffodils, that I just like recently put two and two together. I was like, wait a minute, you and this person are the same person. And she's like, yeah, blah, blah, blah. But, um, it's cool though. you know, and then she writes and all this other stuff. So I, I don't know, but she does like, she doesn't do other shows apparently, you know, she's, no. No, she, she, she said that a couple of times, I guess we're the only people that she'll go on the show for or whatever. Well, she, I don't know. I think if somebody else were to bug her, you know, depending who it was that she might go on their show. I wonder how she'd be on Soraya's show. I've always wondered what, you know, if Soraya had her on there, what he would take her, but I don't um, know. Yeah, she was. I wasn't wasn't expecting to get any like personal stories like that out of her either. That was different for her. Usually, it's just oh, here's a historical thing, blah blah blah, you know, et cetera, and so on. So, anyways, um, yeah, I am recovering. Um, 
it, that the first couple of days of that was was hell. That was bad. <laughs> like, yeah, dude, I'm sorry I downplayed it as much. No, as it's I did. good that you did because if I had <laughs> any idea what I was getting into, I probably would have whisked out of it and canceled the operation or done something. I wouldn't have gone and got it done, and I just would have lived with whatever was going on. But no, you had to have that taken yeah, care of. Yeah, because it wasn't getting any smaller. But um, no, that first day, like. Okay, we're going to go into story time with Ro. So I, I go in, I have the operation, and, and like I'm, I'm just getting ready to get knocked out. They got me on the table. They're rolling me into the room. And they're like, okay, tell us what you're doing. I'm like, you're putting my guts back in, blah, 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 blah. And I'm rolling along with it because they had already given me a mild sedative, quote unquote. And then she's like, mm-hmm. all right, so we're going to put a catheter in you. And uh, that way, you know, if, if you go to the bathroom later on and you feel something strange, that was us. We were there. And I was like, what? And I'm thinking... <laughs> Is this like an alien abduction scenario? And I'm like, are you doing this totally. now when I'm awake? She goes, no, 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 no. We're going to we're going to wait until after you go to sleep. And I'm like, oh, all right. And I'm like, are you going to pull it out later when I'm awake? She goes, no, no, no. You'll be asleep when we put it in and we pull it back out. <laughs> I'm like, OK, because that's the one experience that I, in my life that that's one of the things that I'm not looking forward to in life is having that done consciously, at least. So um, I was awake. Oh God! Ugh. Doesn't really bother me. No, yeah, but you're weird. Um, so I am. we uh, I have the procedure, and then uh, I'm waking up, and as I'm waking up, um, I've got a woman to the left of me yelling at me. She's like, "Sir, sir, on a level of one to ten, I need to know how much pain you're in." And I'm like, "Why? Well, I'm waking up." And and then on, on my right side, I'm I'm. Not to be all woo-woo, I, I very well, and I believe I was hallucinating, my mom, who's passed away several, several years ago, my mom is sitting to the right of me, almost yelling at me, saying, your your daughter your daughter and her fiancé can't have kids until they have a dog. They have to get a dog first. And I'm like, what? I know, I'm like, what? What do you... I'm, I'm, I'm like, well, I'm sitting there like, what? And the woman's like, I need to know how much pain you're in. And I'm like, I'm still waking up. And she's like, they need to get a dog first. So I'm like... It's weird how the brain works, <laughs> even when your brain is in a messed up state of, of like coming out oh, of yeah. being in anesthesia. I'm like, I'm sitting here thinking, I've got the woman, I'm like, okay, she needs to shut up because I can't gauge how much pain I'm in because I'm not fully awake. It's like a drill sergeant yelling in your face. She wasn't that bad, but that's what it felt like. And then I've got right. my mom on my right hand side yelling at me about my daughter, you know, getting a dog. And I'm like, okay. For all the things to come back and deliver me a message about, why the hell are you telling me about a dog? I'm like, isn't there more pertinent information we should be discussing? And at the same time, I've got the woman yelling at me about how much pain I'm in. And I'm also thinking, I'm trying to talk to my mom who's dead here. Could you shut up for a second? And I also can't tell you which pain I'm in. So, and then she's like, how much pain are you? And I'm like, I don't know. She's like, one to 10, how much pain are you? And I'm like, 11 billionth? I don't know. And she's like, I know you're, I know you're trying to wake up, sir. And, and then, you know, my mom kind of faded away and I'm still thinking, what the hell was that? You know? And, and I'm like, (laughs) you know, I'm just out of it. And then my wife comes in and she's like, are you doing all right? And I'm like, uh, no, I, I, yes, I don't know. You know? (laughs) Yeah. So. You know, I'm coming around. I kept wanting to go out like this. I've had three surgeries now. I think I'm pretty much done with this process. I really don't want to no, do this you're not. anymore. Dude, really we're not. both old. We're going to have more surgeries. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to doing this again. You know, I need no. two more. There's like a sinus thing that I've got and there's something else going on. But the, both of those are minor. They're not that big of a deal. But I'm like, I really don't want to do this anymore. 
And the last <laughs> two times I had it done, well, like waking up was like waking up in the morning. You know, the place that I had the stuff done at, there was nice rooms, the nurses. Oh, hi, sir. Welcome back. How was your trip? Blah, blah, blah. This woman was like, are you dying? Are you in pain? I need to know how much pain you're in. And I'm like, yes, I'm in pain. You just put my guts back in. So, yeah, that's the Good funny times. story of it. And then... um. Like the rest of the day, it was like, oh my god! It was, and you're you're like, nah, it's not that bad. You're a pussy. You're gonna, it's gonna be just fine. You're gonna be up the next day. I never day called you a pussy. You're gonna I be. I never out called you a pussy. Herding cattle, it's not a big deal. So I herding wake up cattle, yeah, because I'm a big cow hand. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm like the rancher. That's what I'm known for. So I, I get home and I lay down, and then I wake up later on that night, and I'm like, Lobo can eat my ass. This hurts like hell. <laughs> <laughs> it wow. sucked. So. Of course, they gave me um, a giant bottle of, uh, whoa, come back here, whatever. Um, they gave me a giant bottle of Vicodin, and they also gave me another bigger bottle of stool softeners for anybody out there. Wow, that I never have that problem. No, they, they were like, you must take these, and you must drink water yeah. constantly, because when the time comes, you know, and you need to go, you're going to wish you had these. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, I can, I can barely stand up, let alone sit on a toilet. You know, the, the <laughs> pertinent information people want to know right now. Fortunately, sure. everything worked out fine. You know, everything uh, did what it had to do. I only took like three of these things because I'm terrified of of opioids and stuff. Um, yeah. yeah, understandable. You know, and then like I've always and I've always got these buddies like, hey, uh, you want to sell those? You know, I'll, I'll give you some money for the Vicodins if you got. I'm like, no, man, no, no. And then I've got my other friends. Just sell me theirs. I was like, dude, I don't know. You want to yeah. be a, a dope? That's fine, but I'm, I'm like, not gonna perpetuate what you're doing let's contribute to the problem then i've got my other friends on the other side of the pond that are like dude if you need some marijuana you know like edibles you know we could i've got brownies over here free of charge dude but don't worry they're legal this week they go legal on thursday you know and i'm like no nah, no nah, I'm, I'm good man i'm yeah, on the cool right, you know and this is the <laughs> same doctor that was like you know um I'm going to prescribe you Vicodin. I really don't want to, but if you're cool with eating edibles, you go right ahead and do what you got to do, you know? I'm like, what? So, yeah, it's it all real chill. It's done and over with. It's cool. Blah, blah, blah. So I've still got a few weeks of, of chilling out and resting to do, which I really didn't think I was going to need until a couple hours ago when I actually moved some stuff around. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute. No, I'm I'm not ready to live quite normal life yet. So, I mean, there, there is something to be said for the lifestyle of lounging around in sweatpants and, and T-shirts all day long, but it does get pretty boring. So, <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> which brings me to one more thing. The contact info thing, which probably played just before this. I really need to make a new one because the it says in there, if you want to call Lobo, his number is blah, blah, blah. And that number doesn't work anymore for people to call you. At least I don't think it does, does it? You don't use it anymore, right? It's still there. Yeah, nobody calls you though, right? Nope, no one. But knows. it doesn't redirect to your phone or anything though, right? Uh, I have it shut off at the moment. Okay, so yes, it doesn't work anymore. <laughs> For lack of a better term, it should. So I'm I have to go back and re-record a new contact info mixdown because I got to put in there that if people want to listen to us the Podbean app, which is a really cool app to actually listen to podcasts too. there's a whole lot of other podcasts there's a lot of people that use podbean as well and uh it'll notify you like when a new episode goes up or what have you um so if people want to listen to the pod the podbean app the podbean app is free the only downside is, is every once in a while i'll run ads paid ads through there which are useless because i think i've ran three ads through podbean i think we've made a whopping five dollars maybe six and i still have not seen the money from those ads so I'm probably just going to reject any future advertising offers from them. Um, 
and that, but the only thing is that one, like, it'll just randomly drop an ad in the show somewhere or what have you. But I don't think I'm going to do that anymore. So, mm. um, what else? Uh, we did have a new Patreon this week. I should look her up and actually give her a shout out. Yeah, we have a new Patreon. Marla. So thanks, Marla, for being a Patreon. We appreciate that. And I'm going to have to use that money for again for the show because you don't you haven't listened to an episode recently, have you? No. Okay. Um, Why? What's up? My for whatever reason, my microphone wants to record all of my audio to slightly one side. It's bizarre, and I oh nice. I can't figure out why it's doing that. It's need a new microphone. I think I do, but you know what? Why don't you do what I did and get a blue snowball? Well, I like the Yeti. Mine's work perfect. No problems. You don't. You're not on the production end of it. Like on my end, I can adjust. I, well, it's I, I have to be better, dude. I know a bunch of people who use this same one, and they I know, do the production for their show. I know, but like I have a system that I use for producing the show, and I'm really yeah, weird. You didn't have about, that system before. No, I do. I just I'm very anal about messing with it. It ta- mm. I do things in increments. You know, it's like all right, like I, it took me forever to upgrade to the newest recording software, and then I had to go and learn that software, and it took me forever to switch over to it. And even then, I kind of went and talked to Soraya, and I'm like, okay, so how do I do this, this, and this? And Soraya walked me through a bunch of stuff, and he kind of got me started on it, which is why the show sounds a little bit better now. But I really don't like making drastic changes to stuff because if something goes wrong, like if I do it incrementally and something doesn't work, I can go, okay, that doesn't work. I can go back and change that. So I don't want to change the microphone because I know how it sounds on my end and how it records on my end. If something doesn't sound right, I just turn a little knob or adjust this or adjust that. And I don't know. I'm just weird like that. So whatever. Mm. Yeah, I know. This the Inside baseball here. Uh, I guess. What do we got? Three more shows before that? We decided this show and then two more after this one. Uh, two. Yeah. 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 Two more. Two more. I don't want to. Well, the pizza one we're definitely doing, which has nothing yep. to do with pizza. I mean, nope. nothing to do with Christmas, but. No. Well, isn't Christmas in everybody's pizza? <laughs> Pizza's in everybody's I mean, hearts. That's I, it. I know what I'm. I'm just tired of the war on pizza. Because like the ju- war on pizza. Just this last week, dude. Nobody wants mayonnaise and peas pizza. There that is shit's this, fucking disgusting. There was this old song that's been on the radio forever. Baby, it's pizza outside, and they pulled it off oh, the radio. God. Here we go. Because people thought it was offensive, and there's nothing offensive in the song at all in regards to pizza. It's just saying Ooh. you shouldn't go home tonight because there's pizza here. And people lost their shit about it, and it's been pulled off the radio. And, you know, and oh it's just, this whole war on Still pizza thing. Still playing here. The whole war on pizza thing is just this made-up propaganda thing. I don't know. I don't know. So, um, yeah, Jesus we're done. Jesus is my homie! <laughs> yeah, Jesus is great, Noah, but have you tried pizza? <laughs> wow. All right, let's wrap this up, because we've been babbling here for 13 minutes just on this part alone. So, um, <laughs> and not all of us has the advantage of a naked wife walking around in the background. She left already. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. First world podcaster problems, folks. I know, right? All right. Oof. So, uh, yeah, that's it for this week. We'll see everybody next week. Um, and it will be a even more recovered Rojan. And, uh, that's it. Peace out, folks. This is Lobo from Connecticut. No, no, no. Shrimp. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>
What you think?